Welcome to One Thin Dime, a comic book podcast focusing on the golden and early silver ages of comics. I'm your host, Sammy, aka the Comic Book Kid, and welcome to my second inflation episode. As the cover price was raised to 12 cents, then 15 cents, creators continued to introduce new and exciting characters to the comic book medium. These episodes give me the chance to explore those newly minted marvels that show up a little past my directive for the podcast. Please remember, any characters I discuss on this podcast are the sole copyright of their respective owners. So, with no further ado, let's check out what's on the shelves of the old five and dime for my mischievous 24th episode. For every hero that has been introduced into the comic book medium, there has also been a multitude of malevolent malefactors. This battle of antagonist and protagonist has created a synonymous relationship that has been quickly canonized by readers and historians. Our heroes are defined by the caliber of villains in the rogues gallery, but it is often that the most noteworthy ne'er-do-wells were not there from the beginning of the principled paragons to which they have become intertwined. If I say Superman, what would be your villain response? I'm sure someone said Miksha Spidlik just to be difficult. The Man of Steel has been most defined by his rivalry with Lex Luthor, but Luthor didn't appear until Action Comics 23, April 1941. Soups fought Racketeers and the Ultra Humanite, See my fiendish fifth episode for more on him. For quite some time, before Lex would vex our champion from Krypton, the Joker wouldn't appear until almost one calendar year in Batman 1, April 1940, to bumfuzzle and bewilder the Dark Knight detective. The Silver Age at Marvel Comics wasn't any different. Doctor Doom didn't plague the FF until issue 5, July 1962, while Dr. Octopus first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man 3, July 1963. Even Spidey's felonious foil, the Green Goblin, wouldn't glide into Peter's life until issue 14, July 1964. Finding an arch-nemesis that clicks with readers sometimes takes a few issues. In the pages of Journey into Mystery, the mighty Thor would be quite similar. Journey into Mystery 83, August 1962, would debut The Awesome Asgardian. It would be issue 85, October 1962, before Thor would face his bothersome half-brother, Loki. Now, there's a guy you try to sidestep at the family reunion. Loki would quickly become Thor's most recognized wrongdoer, plotting not only against Thor, but the Marvel Universe proper. This god of lies and mischief would plague everyone from Doctor Strange and the Hulk to the entirety of the Avengers, and don't even get me started on Acts of Vengeance. The sibling rivalry between Thor and Loki plays upon more than just your typical hero-villain paradigm, lending the dynamic of family relationships to their altercations. With that said, let's check out Loki's first appearance in... The First Appearance Flashback My source for this episode is Journey into Mystery 85, October 1962. Copyright Marvel Comics. I access this issue from Marvel Unlimited. 
The story opens with a masterful splash page in the mighty Marvel manner as Thor faces off against a green and yellow clad character proclaiming, At last you've met your match, Thor. The power of Loki is ever greater than yours. The scene switches to fabled Asgard, where we find this Duke of Deception is trapped inside a tree until one Asgardian sheds a tear. As Heimdall approaches, Loki causes a leaf to fall from its branch, coming in contact with Heimdall's eye and causing him to shed a tear. The god of mischief is free. Hmm, that really feels like a loophole. Loki seeks revenge on the one he holds responsible for his imprisonment, Thor the Thunderer. Tracking Thor by the special properties of his Uru mallet, Loki finds that his prey is on Midgard, Earth for us lesser beings, and swiftly crosses the Rainbow Bridge to exact his revenge. Loki seeks to draw out his opponent, using his arcane powers to turn a group of bystanders into negatives. Donald Blake stamps his gnarled walking stick on the ground to become Thor, using his hammer, Mjolnir, to emit antimatter particles and reverse Loki's spell. Good thing they didn't understand the science there. Antimatter, matter, someone's getting blown up. The malevolent miscreant reveals himself, and a titanic tussle begins in the skies of New York City. Loki subdues the Thunder God with magical guile, forcing him to throw away his hammer, but forgetting the hammer's enchantment as the, as the mighty mallet returns to its owner's hands. When the mesmerized Thor is further tricked into reaching the hammer to an image of himself, the hammer falls, and after 60 seconds, Thor reverts to mild-mannered Donald Blake. Unknown to Loki, the hypnotic spell is broken with the transformation, and Blake soon regains Mjolnir. Loki flees, but Thor hurdles his hammer and pursues the foe. Though Loki attempts to distract Thor, knowing that the soft-hearted Thor would stop to help these useless humans, Thor captures the trickster and uses his Uru hammer to return him to Asgard. The final panel shows Blake and Jane Foster commenting on the day's events. Jane sees the classic nature of the previous battle, remarking how ordinary one can feel in the face of it. Blake responds, Well, um, it's all in your point of view. And that, dear listeners, was the first introduction to our Norse ne'er-do-well. But who was responsible for bringing Loki from myth to Marvel? Guess this requires a look. Behind the Comic Curtain. Like many children growing up in the shadow of the Great Depression, Stanley Martin Lieber would quickly learn that it took determination to make a living. Lieber was somewhat of a journeyman, or journey youth, working at various jobs during his teenage years, from office boy to theater usher. Lieber would soon become an assistant at Timely Comics with the aid of his uncle, Robbie Solomon. Stanley would also have another ace. His cousin, Jean, was the wife of the company's editor, Martin Goodman. Stanley would fulfill numerous odd jobs around the offices, running errands or ensuring that the inkwells were filled for the artists. It would be the text piece, Captain America Foils the Traitor's Revenge, 
in Captain America Comics 3, May 1941, that would not only be young Stanley's first foray into the funny books, but also the debut of the name that would one day be synonymous with the mighty Marvel brand. Stanley Martin Lieber would become Stan Lee. Stan would continue to write for Timely, co-creating characters such as the Destroyer for Mystic Comics 6 and Jack Frost for USA Comics 1, both with cover dates August 1941. When Joe Simon and Jack Kirby left Timely, 19-year-old Lee would become the interim editor. During World War II, Lieber would be assigned to the training film division, writing manuals and training films for the incoming GIs, while also continuing his work for Timely. Following the war, Lee would begin writing numerous genre comics, from horror to westerns, for Timely's newest incarnation, Atlas Comics. The company's third iteration would truly be what made Stan Lee a household name among comic readers young and old. With Fantastic Four 1, November 1961, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby would help usher in the Marvel Age of Comics, bringing Marvel's popular pantheon to readers. Beyond the characters themselves, Stan would construct a vision of the Marvel bullpen, making the creators themselves headliners. From jazzy John Romita to the fabulous Flo Steinberg, Lee would craft a picture of Marvel as an idyllic property. Stan would include bullpen bulletins, Stan soapbox, and even work to form the Merry Marvel Marching Society. 100 points to any house who knows the lyrics to that little ditty. Marvel was becoming a bolstered brand that set itself apart from brand Eck. Catch that with Marvel Zombies. By 1981, Lee would become more than just the face of Marvel, but the voice also. After moving to California, Stan would work on extending the Marvel brand into television and movies. I myself remember that identifiable voice narrating episodes of Spider-Man and his amazing friends on Saturday mornings. Face it, the guy was even the mayor of Superhero City in episodes of Cartoon Network's Superhero Squad show. Lee also became the Easter egg on so many Marvel films, surprising audiences with cameos from Thor's alien barber to Hugh Hefner to even portraying his own creation, mailman Willie Lumpkin, in 2005's The Fantastic Four. Stan Lee has had numerous detractors and supporters over the years, most of the time due to his often skewed memories on the creation of Marvel and its characters. But no matter which camp you may be in, it can truly be said that Stan, Jack, Steve, John, both Ramita and Buscema, helped to usher in a new way of approaching comic books and fandom. On that point, we can definitely face front true believers, Excelsior. Now that we know a little about Stan the Man, we have to wonder about the history of Thor's sinister sibling. Guess it's time to explore Loki's Titanic Timeline. When searching for appearances of Loki in the Marvel 616 universe, the Marvel database has over 600 appearances of our magical miscreant. I thought I would first focus on appearances outside of the regular Thor continuity. 
after his first appearance in Journey into Mystery 85, October 1962. It would be Avengers 1, September 1963, where the mischievous malefactor would first plague not only his half-brother, but also have a primary role in the formation of the Avengers themselves. Aside from Earth's mightiest marvels, the god of mischief would also menace the master of the mystic arts, Doctor Strange, in Strange Tales 123, August 1964, tricking Strange into thinking that Thor was the villain. Our lying lawbreaker would even use the Hulk as a weapon, unleashing the green Goliath on Asgard itself in the pages of Tales to Astonish 101, March 1968. Further, Loki would also beguile the Silver Surfer into attacking our Titanic Thunderer in Silver Surfer 4, February 1969. The Avengers wouldn't be the only team that the charming charlatan would inflict his own brand of menace. After plaguing Asgard's finest for issues, Loki, with the help from the Enchantress, would strike at Marvel's mutants, starting with the fledgling New Mutants in New Mutants Special Edition Volume 1, Issue 1, December 1985. The story continued into Uncanny X-Men Annual 9, which sports a fabulous cover homage to Thor's first appearance by Art Adams and Walter Simonson. Not getting enough of this diabolical dealings with the X-Family, Loki would also play the role of antagonist, pitting the X-Men and Alpha Flight in an attempt to gain favor with the clandestine group, those who sit above in shadow. The tale is told in the two-issue limited series X-Men Alpha Flight, Volume 1, Issue 1, December 1985, January 1986. Loki would return to menace the Canadian super team in Alpha Flight 50, September 1987. Loki would next orchestrate the collaboration of a Marvel criminal cabal with the massive event story Acts of Vengeance, starting with Avengers Spotlight, Volume 1, Number 26, December 1989, and his part in the story concluding in Avengers West Coast, Volume 2, 50, Issue 55, February 1990. In true felonious fashion, Loki would not be content spreading his brand of brigandry to only one universe. The God of Mischief would also move over into Malibu's Ultraverse, appearing in issues of Godwill, Hardcase, Mantra, Nightman, Curse of Rune, and Ultra Force, from February to October 1995. It would be toward his half-brother that Loki would probably strike the most disturbing chord in his sinister symphony. Following the events of Thor, Volume 2, Issue 85, December 2004, all of the Asgardian population, including Thor and Loki, were destroyed in Ragnarok. Once Thor returns to the mortal coil, he sets off to find his compatriots and is successful with the exception of the Lady Sif. In Thor, Volume 3, Issue 5, January 2008, Thor believes he has found his beloved, only to find that the evil Loki has now also returned, using the form meant for Sif to place his own conniving consciousness while Sif lies helpless in the body of the dying Mrs. Chambers. This would not be the only alteration the God of Mischief would have in his comic history. Following the events of Dark Reign, Loki would once more face death in Siege, Issue 4, June 2010. 
Loki now became the poster boy, literally, for nature versus nurture when the magical miscreant is reborn as Kid Loki in Thor issue 617, January 2011, seeking to make up for his past dastardly deeds. After a time in this form, Loki would return to an adult personage, even taking the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme in the pages of Doctor Strange 381 to 385, January to April 2018, before taking part in the events Infinity Wars, October 2018, and War of the Realms, June 2019, by which he killed King Lofi to become the ruler of Jotunheim. Readers never know when the conniving conman may show up next, or what devilish scheme he could plan to improve his own story or detract from the world of heroes. With that said, I guess it's time to see where else this wily wrongdoer has appeared. Let's look at Loki's heroic inspiration. Much like his comic book history, Loki has been part of the Marvel landscape in other media also. In animation, Loki would be part of the first episode of the Thor cartoons for the 1966 The Marvel Superheroes cartoon series. Loki would also play both his brother and Spider-Man, Iceman, and Firestar in The Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, Season 1, Episode 10, The Vengeance of Loki. Additionally, he would run the gamut of Disney XD shows, appearing to cause his brand of mayhem in episodes of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Ultimate Spider-Man, Avengers Assemble, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Loki would make his most significant mark on cinema-goers with his introduction in the movie Thor, 2011, demonstrating the perfect casting in the MCU with Tom Hiddleston portraying the villain. Hiddleston would continue the role throughout the Thor and Avengers movies, roles that would lead to an eventual, fingers crossed, Loki streaming series for Disney+. And with that... I guess it's time to close out our episode. Many times in comics, the villains can be a significant reason that readers return issue after issue. Whether it's Spider-Man's Sinister Six or Batman's Arkham Inmates, readers clamor for the best and baddest antagonists for their costume champions. In the case of the Mighty Thor... Loki provides a classic foil for his thunderous stepbrother. He truly assumes his place among the greatest tricksters in myth and folklore, using guile and cunning to befuddle and bewitch Thor and the other mighty marvels. It's no wonder this rakish rogue has charmed his way into our comics and our hearts. If you like my show, please leave me feedback on your podcatcher of choice or... Just tell a friend. The show is available on Apple, Overcast, Podcast Addict, and Amazon Music, among others. Additionally, you can email me at onethindimepodcast at gmail.com. I appreciate any creative comments that can better the listening experience. So, my boss was walking by when I was talking to a co-worker about this episode. As usual, I guess he was eavesdropping to see if we were making the best use of our time on the clock. When he heard me say Loki, he chimed in saying, 
I'm more of a tenor. Man, even this guy's dad jokes are bad. <laughs> With that said, join me next week for my superstitious 25th episode. And just remember, all these adventures were once available for one thin dime. Thanks for listening. Thank you.